Hey, welcome to Chase Oaks. We are so glad that you're here. I'm glad that I'm here now, too. That's pretty good. Um, One of the things that we've been doing over the past couple of weeks is we've been doing a series called On Target, where we've been looking at the book of Titus and studying it. Now, the book of Titus is a letter written to uh, Titus, who was a pastor, a leader of a church on the island of Crete. The island of Crete is a very, very influential city. This was very strategic on Paul's part. And there were lots of things that were out of whack when it came to the church in Crete. And so what Paul was instructing Titus to do is to say, hey, all right, we've got to clean some things up. We've got to get back on target. And it gives us lots of great things to learn from in the book of Titus. Today, I want to look at a little bit of Titus 2. And one of the things that we're going to learn from Titus 2 is not just being multicultural as a body of believers, but being multi-generational. There is a, a verse that we find in Titus where you begin to see the Apostle Paul speaking to all of the generations. Now, I don't know if you knew this, but right now there are seven generations that are currently living. Seven. Uh, The first one is uh, the greatest generation, born from 1901 uh, to 1927. And then there's the silent generation, born from 1928 to 1945. Uh, They're normally grouped together. They're called the traditionalists. And a couple of things that had an impact on these generations was, number one, the Titanic sinking. That was a big one. Uh, World War II and being raised by parents that survived the Great Depression. So that had a great influence on how they think. Then uh, we have uh, the baby boomers. The baby boomers, uh, born from 1946 to 1964, one of their greatest influences, uh, somebody just waved like, like, that's great, all right. Uh, The Cold War, the Civil War, space travel, the idea that somebody could go to the moon, uh, that, that was like, whoa, we can literally be out of this world. The other thing that was introduced to that generation was this whole idea of the American dream and that it was actually attainable. That was born during that generation. So, so this idea of a white picket fence and a dog and, and a couple of cars and putting your kids through school, like that was birthed then. Then uh, there's Generation X born from 1965 to 1980. The greatest influence on them is interesting is Watergate. This is the first time in American history they were like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if our politicians are telling us the truth. And so there was this introduction of like, wait a minute, are they actually being honest with us? Then the millennials, which is my generation, holla at the millennials. Now, uh, there's a couple of things that had a great influence on us. Number one. The Internet, okay? The birth of the Internet, uh, AOL, remember dial-up. When people tell me their Wi-Fi is running slow, I say, you don't know slow, okay? You have never experienced dial-up. And then 9-11, terrorist attacks, school shootings. The fact that there are some threatening things around us had a great impact on my generation. And then there's Generation Z. Generation Z Born from 1996 to 2010, the greatest impact on them is social media and the end of Blockbuster and the rise of streaming. 
No more going to go to a, a video rental facility. Um, now it's just, hey, we, th- this is the rise of entertainment and this idea that my life is now I have to have an online version of it and an offline version of it. And then the generation alpha, born from 2011 to 2025, undoubtedly is a pandemic that has had a great impact on this current generation. Now, here's the temptation that every generation has. Every generation has a temptation to believe that they're the best generation. Every single one. Every single one of them. And I love, I love what Paul, what he writes in Titus. He says, he says this, verse 1, he says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. The Apostle Paul is going, hey, we've got older men, older women, younger men, younger women, and, and we're all in this thing together. And so the first thing that I want you to know that if we're going to be on target as a body of believers, as bodies of believers that are trying to be truly multi-generational, I believe that every generation is a generation that we can learn from. Every generation is a generation that we can learn from. And it can be easy to look at the other generation and think, what do they know? What do they know? What do they know? But every single one of us has to beware of generational arrogance. Every single one of our generations can look at the other one and go, man, what in the world is your deal? Um, the other day, I was playing basketball, and a gentleman comes into the Lifetime Fitness locally here, and he's wearing Crocs. If you don't know what Crocs are, uh, they're shoes with holes in them. They're not basketball shoes whatsoever. However, he was playing basketball in Crocs. I began to make a spectacle of this man's shoes. I said, this is embarrassing. Uh, this is disrespectful. I'm upset. The basketball gods are, are upset. I'm like, I, I cannot believe you would wear Crocs to play basketball. And so two uh, younger gentlemen walked into the gym and I said, hey, uh, can you believe this guy is wearing Crocs? They said, yeah, he's got them in sport mode. I said, sport mode? What is wrong with you? And I said, weren't you just on Facebook posting about some Nikes that you were playing in? And he goes, Facebook? Ew! Facebook's for old people. And I was like, no, dude, I saw you. He goes, I don't even have a Facebook. And I said, Facebook's not for old people, dude. I'm 35. He said, let me say it again. Facebook is for old people. I was like, hey, man, you ain't going to be disrespecting me like that in the gym, man. You need to tell this man to go get some real basketball shoes. I don't care about sport mode. And I'm just like... Isn't it easy for us to look at another generation and think they don't know what they're talking about? I can't tell you how many 
older generations look down at younger generations and go, oh, the TikTok generation. TikTok can't give you health insurance. You need to get a job. You're going to be living with me for forever. And then younger generations can look at older generations and go, you're outdated. You don't understand the times. You, 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 you're, you just don't get it. But we all have to look at every other generation and go, I can learn from you. There's something that I can learn from you. Do you want to know what is required for us to be on target multi-generationally? Number one, it's humility. It's humility. I, I love what Proverbs 11 verse 2 says. It says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. I remember when my parents used to tell me a bunch of stuff growing up, you know, eat your vegetables and, you know, don't get a credit card. They gave me all of this advice. And I just remember looking at their generation and just rolling my eyes no matter what they said. And it's interesting. You, you think your parents are crazy until you become a parent. And when you become a parent, you're like, oh, so that's what this felt like. Mom, I owe you an apology. I mean, can't we all look at someone that's older than us and younger than us? And instead of looking at them as less than, what if we said, you know what? You're a generation that we can truly learn from. We all need each other. So this weekend, what I want to encourage you to do as it pertains to other generations is always remain a student. Always remain a student. May we never get to a place in our life where we say, I can't learn from them. They don't know what they're talking about, but, but constantly be in a position that says, you know what? There's something about you that I can learn from. I can look at someone that's older than me and go, you know what? Perhaps you've been through some things that I can learn from. And especially for young parents, we need all the help we can get. And the worst thing that any of us can do is to be so prideful that says, you know what? I don't need your help. I don't need your advice. I got this. What if we don't? And there's a story uh, that happened right here at Chase Oaks that I think illustrates this brilliantly. Um, this is a story that I think is going to truly illustrate what it means to really see the crossover between multiple generations. So go ahead and check out this video. I don't think I ever decided I wanted to be a mentor or that I wanted to reach out to other generations or other types of people. It just happened. The Lord provided it. We met like 30 years ago. It was our first life group that we joined. We called them mini churches back then. But something was just extra special about Joni. We didn't have family nearby, so she helped really be the village of helping raise my boys. About the same time I became a life group leader and one of the women in the mom's group asked if I could teach them how to cook. I don't, I'm not a cook, I prepare meals. Who would have known that that would be considered mentoring but uh, each time it would be put in my lap and the Lord brought it to me and that was the best way I know to to listen and follow through. I always wanted to go on a mission trip, never got to. 
that here at the church we were asked to work with the Chinese students from UTD. Well, I live right near UTD. That'd be easy to have house people. We have extra rooms. Never had thought that what it would turn into. So for seven years, we had one or two each year, and we got to help them get their apartments, the electricity on. We'd show them the Chinese stores, the Walmarts, and just where to go to get things, and had the blessing of baptizing some in my swimming pool. And I continue to have three young ladies that come most Sunday mornings. We have omelets in church. I think there's a need to be needed, both by the mentors as well as the mentees, those who can learn and those who want to share. And last week, uh, we talked about who God wants us to become. And how there's a lot of friends, family, people through life group. I've absorbed things from, but I think Joni just happened to be more intentional. We scheduled things and we made it happen. And so she's really taught me none of that time given to others is a waste. Keep reaching out to others. Keep serving others because you're really the one that benefits. What have I gotten out of it? Oh, this is amazing. With the joy, the education, the fulfillment of what I think the Lord wanted from me and being a part of other people's lives. This is all part of getting to do this. What I love about that video is she says, we all have a need to be needed. And just thinking about Joni's story and who she was pouring into and being able to pour into Jeff's wife, Christy, and with no agenda. You know, when you enter into one of those relationships, when there's no agenda, you just, you just never know what can happen. Sometimes you never know who you're serving. And so uh, this weekend, uh, one of the things that we wanted you to know about uh, is the uh, mentorship program that any one of you can sign up for. Um, you can sign up to be a mentor. Uh, you could sign up to be a mentee. And I just, I, I meet so many people who wake up on a daily basis and they're just going, I wish I had somebody in my life to show me the way. I wish I, wish I had somebody that I could talk to. I, I wish, and you just think about how many people even grew up without a father. And, and just thinking about, thinking about this just really moves my heart. Thinking that someone could make a connection. Dare I say, a divine connection that would connect the dots for them that they've been trying to connect for a very, very long time. So if you're interested in that, I encourage you to go to chaseoaks.org slash mentorship. The second thing that I think is very important to understand if we're going to be on target multi-generationally is number two. Every generation of Christ followers is called to a high standard. Every generation of Christ followers is called to a high standard. The word holiness has almost become outdated. It's certainly not um, a term that even millennial Christians really use 
a lot. And sometimes uh, not only can my generation and younger dismiss older generations, but sometimes we can actually dismiss the scriptures and consider it outdated with that generation and say, okay, that's really traditional and that's legalistic and and we, we can't be doing all of that stuff. But what I love about the Apostle Paul is he's saying, hey, Titus, I need you to clean some things up. We don't know how, but somehow Cretan leaders got influence in this church and things got really out of whack. They really and they really started doing things that were not Christ like at all. And so the Apostle Paul is setting the record straight. He's going, hey, I want to. I want to set out a model for you for what your, a Christian home should look like. A man, older man, young man, older woman, younger woman. I, I really want to, to set this thing straight. And a couple of the things that he lists out, the first, the first one that he says for three of the categories is being self-controlled. It's being self-controlled. Now, that may not seem like that big of a deal, but if I'm honest... If I could describe our culture right now in two words, it would be reactive and impulsive. This idea that, well, I can just go off on anybody. I can do whatever I want. I'm, I'm my own Lord. I'm my own boss. Nobody can tell me what to do. And if someone tries to tell me what to do, then I'll just cancel them. But the Apostle Paul is going, I, I really, I really need you to be self-controlled. What was happening in this church was that there were lots of things that were going, going on sexually that were just so wrong. So wrong. And when I talk to Christians, the number one area that people tend to make up their own rules is in the area of sexual relationships. They make up their own rules. It's like, well, you know... You know, I'm divorced and they, man, I met them. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, it, it's no, it's no big deal. But the Apostle Paul, every single generation, he's going, I need you to be self-controlled. Men, I think it starts with us. I think it starts with us of just going, you know what? We are the leaders. We're the leaders of our home. We're the leaders of our children. And I wonder who's listening to today's message and you've just got some anger issues that are just absolutely out of control. And I would encourage you this weekend to really consider what would it look like for you to make some changes, to really dig deep and say, you know what, in light of the part that I have been called to play in, in the body of Christ, I need to be self-controlled. The, the other thing that he says in that scripture is to be sober-minded, clear-thinking, focused. And I just think about how many of us just struggle with distractions. How many of us just struggle with things that just take up our time? I think the average usage on the Internet per day is 146 minutes. 146 minutes. For some of us, it's just wasting time. The Apostle Paul's going, hey, you, you Christians, I, I, I want to encourage you. Be very, very intentional. Be very, very focused. Be sober-minded. The next thing he says is, is being sound in faith. 
Like, hey, you, you, you should know what you believe and why you believe it. And, and then he says, you should be sound in love. And sound in love for a Christian is so different than any other group of people on the planet. Because as a Christ follower, there is a group of people that Jesus encourages us to love. Specifically, our enemies. I mean, that group of people that you might see as a rival, that group of people you might see as an arch nemesis, that group of people that, that you might be envious of, that you see as, as a head of, uh, you in some kind of way, and you thought, well, if I, could just, if I could just somehow get ahead of them, I'll feel better about myself. It's like, no, like, you should be sound in love. And you just think about the influence that Jesus wants us to have in a city, it's going to be the way that we love. The way that we love people that maybe we don't like. And I'm so glad Jesus didn't say like your enemies because I got some people I'm like, I'm never going to like them. But I can love them. I can figure that out. Because loving them is a choice. Liking it's like, oh, do I have this feeling towards them? Do I enjoy it? I don't have to enjoy it, but man, I, I want to go out of my way to make sure, hey... Is there somebody in my life? And I, I saw a friend the other day who hadn't called me back in six months. And I was just, and, I, and everything inside of me just wanted to go, really, bro? Really? But I thought, hey, man, how are you? How's your life been? My life is not about me, and our relationship is not about me. So, man, I can... I can show some love to you in a moment where I really don't want to. I, I kind of want to go off on you. But instead, it's like, well, what would it look like for us to truly walk in love? I, I love that he talks about being consistent. Who are you all the time? What can people count on? When people see your name on their caller ID, what can they expect just think about that when because because we all got that person in our life right that when they call we instantly go damn nah i ain't got time for it today what do people feel when you call them it's a call to be consistent i love that he goes on to say not slanderers i like to say not gossips I think some of us find ourselves in a position where we think that talking about other people is going to make us feel better about ourselves. But talking about other people behind their back, what is it doing? It's bringing us lower. We're actually lowering our own standard when we're called to raise the standard. This is not just a thing for an older generation or a younger generation. We are all in this boat together in fact how how we talk about people behind their back is is really a showcase of who we really are i, I love this idea i was reading about the other day they call it grapevine glory and grapevine glory has this connotation where you talk about people behind their back in a positive way and i started doing this and it's so fun because I'll pull somebody aside. I'll be like, hey, man, I got to tell you something about Tom. Hey, 
he's really been doing a great, don't tell him, don't tell him, but he's been doing a great job. I don't want it to get back to him, though. Okay, I need you to just keep that between us, but he's, he's really sharp. I mean, you'd be surprised when, how many things have gotten back to us from someone else that was positive? We could be the difference makers. We could make a difference in our community if we decided to be people that said, you know what? I want to be a person that speaks kind of people when they're not around. It would be a shame. There's this phrase that we use in culture today about give someone their flowers while they're alive. That's the idea that let's not give them a bunch of flowers once they're gone and then say all of these nice things about them at the memorial service. What if we just went the extra mile right now and just said, hey, tomorrow's not promised. And I want you to know, I really appreciate you. I, I, I want to be the most encouraging person at my job. I want to be the most encouraging person at my school. I want to be the most encouraging person in my neighborhood. Say, so you know what? How I talk about other people is an indication of who I really am. The last thing that he says that I think is very, very interesting is he says, take care of your home. And one of the last things I want you to think about this weekend is spiritual provision is just as important as financial provision. And I can fall for this trap of thinking as long as I've saved from my kids college, as long as bills are paid, as long as we're put in a good position financially, we're good. I've done my job. This is great. I brought home the bacon. I ain't got to cook it too. Like, this is great. This is awesome. And in the process of all of that, we can forget that the number one thing that our families need is spiritual provision. My son started first grade uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we started doing the verse of the day. And one day, he came home and he was like, you forgot the verse of the day, Dad. And I'm like, my bad. Okay, so on the Bible app is the verse of the day, and then someone is actually delivering the verse of the day and talking about it. Well, we had done the verse of the day for about two weeks. And on the third week, uh, guess who was doing the devotional for the verse of the day? Me. <laughs> so I was like, hey, son, great guy doing the verse of the day today. You want to watch it? He's like, whatever. I'm like, it's your dad. Come on. Like, aren't you excited? He was just like, it wasn't as good as yesterday's verse of the day. I'm like, really? Really? But I, I could totally fall for the trap that. Toys, stuff, opportunities is the way that I take care of my home. But ladies and gentlemen, we cannot forget that the most important provision that we can provide in our home is spiritual. It's to impart something into our homes. Every single generation has to play their part. So the next time that you're online and you see something that frustrates you, if you're on Facebook, apparently that's us old people. I don't know what that's about, but 
wherever, wherever, wherever you are interacting, whether offline or online with another generation, my hope and prayer is that you would see them not as someone that needs to get their act together, but that you would see them as someone that says, something I can learn from. Because just so you understand the, the whole goal of what we're trying to do here today, we're trying to make a difference in DFW. It's not all on my generation and it's not all on yours. We're in this thing together. And I hope and pray that we raise the standard for our homes, how we act. When I think about that list of qualities, I just think if I was writing a job description, wouldn't I want that person? Sober-minded, disciplined, self-controlled, not gossip, not toxic for the workforce. Honestly, I, I, I think the Apostle Paul is giving us a blueprint on how to make a difference in the world. I mean, you may not be the most talented person at your job, but what if you were the most encouraging? It's an easy game to win. Just do 10 emails Monday morning. Go to, I'm going to do 10 emails. Who's else, who else is going to do that? Nobody. You could be the most encouraging person at your job Monday morning. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that, I mean, it, it, just think about the power that we have just for every generation. Young, old, middle aged. I didn't, I didn't think 35 was old until I went to the gym the other day, and apparently I'm old now, so let's hang out. I, don't, I, I, I guess that's, that's where we're at in life. But ultimately, every single generation has to play their part. Father, I thank you so much uh, for your word. God, I pray that you would help us truly be on target, multi-generationally. I pray, God, that you would give us divine relationships with mentors or mentees and that we wouldn't be afraid to ask for help. Help us to play our part regardless of what generation we find ourselves being a part of. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, Amen.